Let me pray for our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to sit under the teaching of your word. We pray as your word is taught, as it is preached, that it would go out and that it would accomplish the purpose that you have for it. Father, we pray that your spirit would also help convict us of the truths that we need to hear and also to empower us to be able to obey. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Years ago, I had the opportunity to attend the Urbana Student Mission Conference. And I was excited this year in particular because David Platt was speaking. And I had read his book, Radical. That night, David Platt got up to the platform and began to speak. And I was excited to hear what he had to say. But then after a few minutes getting into his message, I thought to myself, I've heard this before. And as he continued in his message, I could begin anticipating where he was going in his message because a lot of his message was actually adopted from a chapter in his book, Radical. And so while a lot of the message wasn't new to me, it was still encouraging. But then after the message, I had a chance to speak with the students who actually went to the conference with me. And I asked them, so what did you think about the message? And because they had never read Radical before, they said that the message was powerful, that it really stirred within them a conviction to be involved in missions. Some even said that they would sign up for a short-term mission trip that summer. Others even went on to say that they had never heard God's word explained in that way. We had all heard the same message, but we all came to different convictions. Even though I had heard the word preached, I didn't feel the same conviction as those students. Now, oftentimes, many of us hear God's word, and we don't feel conviction. We may go through the Sunday morning sermon in the home worship guide. We may hear it, and then we go off and eat our lunch, and we don't give the message another thought. Or we may discuss the sermon or the word of God that was preached in our small groups. And then after we talk about it, we actually don't think about its implication for our lives. Or maybe we may read the Bible in our regular quiet times or our devotional lives. We read it so that we can get it done, so that we can get to work and get on to the next thing. And we never really ask, what is God asking of Many of us do this. Many of us struggle with hearing God's word. Because even though we may hear it, we oftentimes don't feel the conviction. So then how do we hear God's word? How do we hear God speak to us, even as we hear the word preached, as we discuss it in our small groups, as we read it on our own in our quiet times? How do we hear God's word? word. This question is addressed by James as he writes the letter to a church that has been dispersed, a church that has been scattered, that many people in this church that he knew had to move to new communities and start life all over again. And many of them started all over with very little. And because of that, people in these new communities took advantage of them. Wealthy landowners employed them and paid them very little. 
Some of them even scorned these Christians for their faith. And it was difficult for these believers scattered throughout different areas to gather and to worship. And James writes this letter to encourage them that even though that they are going through trials, even though they're going through hardships, they are to count it all joy. Well, why? It's because these trials, these situations, would be creating a sense of maturity in them. But when trials become too long, when they continue day after day, week after week, year after year, it begins to get really difficult to believe that God is in the trial. And that some of them may have said, did God abandon me? And if he did, then I have to take things into my own hands. And James encourages them, no, don't give in to those evil desires to do what is sinful when you're under testing. But instead, if you need wisdom during trials, ask God and he will give it to you. And to remember the word of God that saved you so that you would become a first fruit of his creature. And again, James continues that theme of the need to be able to hear God's word in the time of trials, in the time of testing, in this particular section that we're in today. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. So if you're Bibles, please turn there with me. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. Now in this section, we'll find three ways to hear God's word. That there are three methods or three things that we need to do in order to hear God's word. So the first way to hear God's word is to hear God's word to learn. That our attitude should be one of a student. That we should have a teachable attitude. That we need to be eager to learn what God has to say to us. That we are to hear God's word to learn. But there's something that really does hinder our ability to learn from God's word, especially when he speaks to us through it. And that biggest obstacle is this. It's anger. Anger hinders us from learning God's word. It's an obstacle. It's a barrier. Well, why? Why is anger such a barrier to learning God's word? Well, anger deafens our ears to hear God's word. That it makes us unable to actually hear what God has to say to us. Because in James chapter 1, verse 19, it says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, when we hear this verse, we oftentimes think that this means that we need to listen to everything. If your father has advice on how you should manage your personal finances, you should listen to him. Or if your mom tells you that you need to remember to pack your lunch, you need to listen to her. Or even when an employer tells you to do a project that you need to listen to him or her. That in any of these cases, you need to listen to them. But that's not what James is getting at. James isn't talking about listening to everyone and anyone for any type of advice, even though those things are good to do and to listen to. But James is actually referring to being quick to hear God's word. 
Because in the prior verse, in verse 18, he says, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, that we should be quick to listen to the wisdom that comes from the word of God. But as I said before, the anger is an obstacle and barrier. And we see this in this particular verse because James writes this, that we must be slow to speak and slow to anger when we hear God's word. Now, why would anyone be quick to speak and quick to anger when they hear God's word? Well, imagine with me a husband. And he hears at church or in his small group discussion, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then he thinks, wait, 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 wait. Love my wife? But my wife is so unlovable. Every time I come home and try to enjoy the weekend, she gives me a list of things to do. Organize the garage. Be able to uh, make sure that I clean the bathroom. That I go down to the grocery store and help her pick up certain things so that she might be able to make a meal on the weekend. That she's always so demanding. And that even when I try and relax, it isn't long before I get into a film or in something that I enjoy doing before she asks me, can you take out the trash? She doesn't respect me or even appreciate all the things that I do for our family. How could I ever possibly love my wife? And then the husband would feel angry that God would even ask him to do this. Or imagine the child that hears children obey your parents in the Lord. And the child thinks, wait, 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 wait. Obey my parents? But my parents are so demanding. They always ask me to help out around the house, to fold the laundry, to wash the dishes, help my siblings with their homework. But my parents don't understand. Susan's parents don't ask Susan to do those things. They don't ask Susan to wash the dishes, fold the laundry, or help their siblings. And, you know, my parents never do anything good for me. Susan's parents at least have taken her on vacations to Disney World. We haven't even gone to Disney World once. Obey my parents? <laughs> Response of a child. And the child would be angry that God would even have the audacity to ask that of us. Or imagine the person who's got into a conflict with another person who did something wrong to you, and you hear the words, forgive one another. And you think to yourself, forgive? How can I forgive this person for what he or she has done to me? If God only knew what this person has done, God would not ask me to forgive this person. That oftentimes when we hear God's word, we're quick to speak, to object, and we begin to feel angry. Now, why is anger such a bad thing when it comes to hearing God's word? Well, it's because hearing God's word requires us to put away that anger because anger oftentimes stunts Christ-likeness, that it prevents us from actually growing spiritually. For verse 20 says this, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. An angry person oftentimes wants to protect themselves from any type of criticism, any type of constructive feedback they want to defend against it because they are always right. That the angry person thinks everybody else is wrong. 
and I am right. And therefore, this angry person tends to defend themselves against others and also against God, saying that I don't need their feedback because what I'm doing is right. And this type of behavior does not produce the righteousness of God. And this righteousness of God that James is talking about is this righteous behavior that God requires of us. That God expects us to love God and to love neighbor. And by doing so, it produces a God-like righteousness within us, a Christ-likeness. But if we are angry and if we don't want to listen to what God says, then God isn't able to form that righteousness in us. He isn't able to form that Christ-likeness in us. So what, do we, what should we do with this anger? Well, we need to deal with the cause of anger if you really want to hear God's word. If you really want to hear what God has to say, then you have to deal with the cause of the anger within you. Look with me at the first half of verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. James says here is that if you want to hear God's word, you have to examine your life and figure out what is it that's causing this anger within me and to confess it to the Lord. That if you are upset at your wife because of the lack of appreciation, you need to pray to God, God, I recognize that I'm angry at my wife because she demands so much of me. But I realize as I think about it that I'm also needing help from you to really help our family and to serve her. Help me because I'm wrong to say that she's demanding. Or think of the child who needs to confess that, Father, I confess to you that I desire rest. I desire relaxation. I desire leisure more than anything else. But I need your help to be able to obey my parents and to serve them. Or think of the person who's unforgiving, that they need to confess that, Father, I recognize that even though this person has wronged me, I have wronged you more, and I need your help to forgive the other person. That we need to confess what is the cause of our anger if we are actually going to hear God's word. Now, what happens when we put away that filthiness? What happens when we put away that rampant wickedness? Then we receive with meekness, as it says in verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So then the thing is, what is it that you need in order to hear God's word? You need humility. And humility is synonymous with meekness. That we need to have a meekness to be able to receive God's word, to hear it, in order to be saved. Now, what does it mean to be weak, or meek? Because oftentimes we associate meek with weakness. But meekness isn't weakness at all. Meekness is this idea of control. A dog is considered meek when the dog does whatever his owner wants. When the owner says sit, the dog sits. When the owner says roll over, the dog rolls over. When the owner says play dead, the dog plays dead. That the dog is considered meek because he's able to humble himself and do whatever the owner asks of it. And likewise, we are to be meek, we are to be humble, and to do what God asks 
of us. Now, James writes here that the implanted word is able to save your souls. Now, what is the implanted word? What is James referring to? Well, this idea of an implanted word is probably in reference to the prophet of Jeremiah who says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, meaning that Jeremiah was looking forward to the day when God would actually inscribe his law within us. And for us who have placed our faith in Christ, we now have a new operating system installed within us that has a particular attention towards God's word. That when God's word is spoken, when it is taught, when it is read, we pay particular attention of it because of that implantation of the gospel. And when we hear James write about this idea of saving your souls, James isn't referring to your eternal salvation. But this idea of saving is this idea of deliverance that's also found in the Old Testament, where Israel was delivered from Egypt, was delivered from the Midianites, from Sihon and Og, that God delivered them from the situation and circumstance in which they found themselves in. That if we receive God's word, which is implanted within us, then God is able to save us from the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in. That a husband who has upset his wife, God will help to love his wife well and to exhibit a marriage that shows grace. That God helps a child who submits himself under God's word to obey his or her parents, to show what it looks like, to show submission, to show deference in a Christ-like way. Or for the person who is unforgiving, who's able to forgive, is able to demonstrate the power of the gospel to empower us, to give us the strength to be able to forgive, that God is able to save us in those ways if we hear God's word to learn. Now, another way to learn or to hear God's word is this, is that we hear God's word to obey. Now, we need to be able to hear God's word and actually do what he asks of us. That when God asks us to do something, we do it. We carry it out. We heed it. So we hear God's word to obey. Now, a person oftentimes fools themselves if they think that hearing God's word is enough. That it's just enough to hear it. Now, don't get me wrong. Knowing God's word is important. It's important to know what God's word says. But knowing God's word is not enough because it has to be coupled with obedience. I mean, if a person says to you that they know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and rose again on the third day, but doesn't believe any of it, you wouldn't consider that person a believer. Because even though you know the truth, you have to be able to act on that truth. John Calvin says this, that obedience is the mother of true knowledge of God. That knowledge of God and of his word must be accompanied with action. That's why in verse 22, James writes this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That we have to be doers and not just hearers only. Now, when a person hears God's word only, when they are only a hearer of God's word, they actually receive no benefit at all, that there is nothing helpful that comes to them. Now, James uses the metaphor of a mirror to describe the word of God in these following verses in 23 to 24. Let me read this to you. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, oftentimes when we go to a mirror, we go to a mirror to see our reflection to get some help in terms of fixing things that we may not see on our face. A lady might use a mirror to maybe touch up their makeup. For a guy, they may look at the mirror in order to know if they missed a place in their shaving, that they still need to shave a spot that they may have missed. But if you look into a mirror and you miss that spot and you don't do anything about it and you leave, then you have to deal with the consequences of missing something and not doing anything about it, whether it be a spot that you didn't shave or a part of your makeup that you didn't put on. And then you just have to deal with the consequences. And the Word of God works in a very similar way, that the Word of God shows us a reflection of ourselves and, more importantly, areas in our life that still need work. For example, think about a person who's reading the Word of God in the morning. And he comes upon a verse which says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must be put away from you. Must not even be named among you. And he reads it, and he thinks, oh, this is a really good verse. And he feels the Spirit prompting, you really need to try and live a life of sexual purity. He's hearing God's word. Or think of the wife who gets into arguments with her husband, and then she logs on later at night onto a Zoom meeting with her accountability sisters. And one of her sisters shares this verse, a gentle word turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. And when that sister shares that word, this wife feels this prompting, I should probably go reconcile with my husband later today. But it's not just good enough to hear God's word, because if you hear God's word and you don't deal with your sexual immorality, if you hear God's word and you don't reconcile with your husband, there is no benefit. There's nothing that will benefit you, nothing that is helpful to you especially when we hear God's word and we do nothing, that you'll never experience God helping you to live a life of sexual purity, that you'll never experience God empowering you to reconcile with your spouse and to ask for forgiveness and to work things out. You'll never be able to experience those benefits. So a person who actually benefits from hearing God's word is a person who not only hears the word, but actually does the word. That a person who hears and obeys God's word receives reward. Look with me at verse 25. It says this, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, when we oftentimes, when we hear the law, we think the law is restrictive. I mean, Think about you trying to get to a destination, you make a wrong turn, so now you have to make a U-turn to get on the right path again, and then you come to the stoplight, you're sitting there, and then you see the sign. No U-turn. And it's frustrating, so you have to wait until the next stoplight before you're able to make a U-turn to get to your destination. Or there are rules like, for example, you have to pay your taxes on April 15th, that is tax day. And if you fail to pay your taxes on April 15th, whatever taxes you owe to the government, you have to pay interest on. 
Or maybe the rule where if you go to a boba shop, you can't bring drinks from another shop into this particular shop. That rules oftentimes and laws we feel are restrictive. But that's not always the case because there are some laws that we do appreciate. We do appreciate traffic laws, that people have to drive in their lane, that people have to stop when the stoplight turns red. And when it turns green, people can go. It helps you get to destination A to destination B. It helps you travel from place to place, that these rules are helpful. And even when it comes to playing sports, rules are helpful. That in a game of volleyball, you want to make sure that there is a set amount of players on each side, that it's not unevenly numbered, that the ball has to be hit in a certain area, it has to be served from a certain area, that the ball can only be touched three times when the ball is returned, and it makes the game much more exciting, not only to play, but also to watch. That these rules and these laws are helpful. And God's law is also helpful to us as well. That it provides us a certain amount of freedom, a certain amount of liberty that James talks about. That the law of God is not optional, but it's mandatory. It's not voluntary. You must do it. But we know that doing the law of God leads not only to freedom, but that the law of God ultimately is perfect. Meaning that God designed his law, the God who knows the right thing to do at every single moment, designed this law for us to follow for ultimately our benefit. But what is this law? Well, when we think about James, James might be referring to the Mosaic law, but that's probably not the case because there's no reference to the sacrificial system in this whole letter. But when James is talking about the law, he's probably referring to the Mosaic law in light of what Christ has done on the cross. That as Christ looks back onto the Mosaic law and gives us a fuller interpretation of how it must be filled, that is the law that James is talking about. For Jesus, as Matthew says, has come to fulfill the law. That the law that James is talking about, this law of liberty, is Mosaic law as more fully interpreted by Christ. And that when we follow these laws, it leads to freedom. But James also says this in verse 25, that he will be blessed in his doing. That when we follow God's law, when we follow God's word, when we hear it and when we actually do it, we receive benefit, that there is blessing. Now, if you recall, in James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he received the crown of life. That the blessing that James is talking about is this idea of a wreath that everybody will acknowledge that he or she is a victor of some kind of sports competition. But when you obey God's word, when you hear and actually do what it says, people will acknowledge your faithfulness to God, that you are doing what God has asked of you. But not only that, that God will also look upon you and say, you have done and conducted yourself in a way that is faithful, and I am well pleased. And that is the blessing that we're able to receive if we hear God's word and to actually be able to go do it. Then when we go and actually pursue a life of sexual purity, then we will be pleasing to God. When God empowers us to reconcile with our spouse, we conduct our marriage in a way that is grace-filled, that is pleasing to the Lord. 
And it grows us in our maturity and our dependence upon God. And that's the blessing that we receive when we not only hear God's word, but when we also do God's word. So hear God's word to obey. Now, what is the third way that we're to hear God's word? Well, hear God's word to change. That when you hear God's word, it transforms you. It conforms you into the character of Christ and the person that God desires to be. That hearing God's word leads to change. Now, how does the word of God change you? Well, first, it changes the way that you speak. It says this in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, when James is talking about religion, he's, he's using a word that people in his day use in connection with worshiping other gods with small letter G. But James is adopting this word of religion, saying that if we are truly followers of Christ, if we are the people of God, then we will know that to worship God is to actually do what he asks of us. Because it is better to obey than to offer a certain sacrifice. And that when we are going through difficult trials and difficult challenges and we feel the temptation to sin, we will not speak and say, God, this is your fault. Or we won't blame other people saying that this is their fault. But we will recognize that we need God's help to be able to undergo that particular trial and that particular challenge. And this is what he says, this is what he means when he says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart, that those who have been transformed by the hearing of God's word will control what they say. Now, the other way that hearing God's word changes you is that it changes the way that you act towards the marginalized. It changes the way that you act towards the oppressed. Uh, look with me at the first half of verse 27. It says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now James describes God as the Father. Well, why does he do that? Because in the Psalms, David describes God as the father to the childless and as a protector to the widows. That James is adopting that same type of description to describe God here in verse 27. Now, when James writes, visit orphans and widows, this is typically idiom in that day to say, you should actually care for the oppressed and for the marginalized. Well, who are the marginalized in our lives that we should care for? Is it just orphans and widows? But I would say that that category has a lot more people in it than just orphans and widows. Think about the immigrant who has just moved here to the United States or the refugee who's trying to adjust to a whole new community. That to care for the marginalized is to be able to come alongside a refugee or an immigrant to be able to teach them how to maybe apply for a driver's license, to be able to teach them how to use a refrigerator because from the country where they come from, there are no refrigerators, or be able to how to use a microwave, that these things that they will have a hard time adjusting that you help them with. Or maybe as a student, when you're at school and you see a new student come, that you help them be able to get to their classes because they don't know where classes are, Maybe it's to help them to download assignments from the internet because they don't know how to do that because they're not from the United States. 
or maybe during lunchtime, to even be able to sit with them, that we begin to care for the marginalized. And not only for those new students or for those new immigrants, but even youth and children in our church. Maybe there are youth and children who have lost a parent due to illness, that we would step into those positions, into those places to provide spiritual leadership. Or for a child or youth who doesn't have a parent because of divorce, that their parents are divorced, that we step into those places to be able to provide coaching, encouragement in those places. And even for our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to learn how to help them, especially in this time of racial tension in our communities and in our country, that we are to think about how we are to help those who are marginalized in our communities. That's what James is saying in this first half of verse 27, that when we hear God's word, it begins to change our disposition as well as the way that we care for these people. And lastly, the hearing God's word changes the way that we interact with the world. That it changes the way that we filter what the world tries to teach us. Because the last half of verse 27 says this, to keep oneself unstained from the world. And a lot of the world's teaching is contrary to the word of God. Let me give you just one example. Because oftentimes the world tells us that the problems and the challenges that we face are, it's not our fault. It's other people's fault. You know, the teacher who's trying to teach us this material, I'm not learning it because the teacher is not a good teacher. He's not doing his job. Or we may think to ourselves, wow, you know, I've been single for a very long time. And the reason is because every person I date, they all have too high expectations. It's their fault while I'm still single. Or maybe it's because you're trying to get an advancement in your career and you're trying to move up to get that promotion. But you say, the reason why I'm not getting promoted, the reason why I'm not moving up is because my employer, they play favorites. They show favoritism. It's everyone else's fault. It's not my fault. But we as believers recognize that we live in a world that is affected by the curse of sin. And that in every single problem that we face, we also are partially at fault. That maybe in class, it's not so much the teacher's fault as maybe when there is something difficult that we couldn't understand, we should have raised our hands and asked, could you help me understand that? Or maybe when it comes to dating relationships, the issue is maybe I lack empathy. I'm not able to connect with people as well as I think I should. And when it comes to work, maybe the reason why I'm not advancing is because maybe the way that I conduct myself at work needs improvement, that there's certain skills, certain things that I need to know if I'm going to advance or if I'm going to be promoted, that we recognize that there's something wrong with us as well, that the fault doesn't just lie with everyone else, but also lies with us. So then how do we hear God's word well, we talked about three ways. Hear God's word to learn. Hear God's word to obey. And hear God's word to change. Stuart Townsend writes this in his song, Speak, O Lord, in this first verse. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth planted deep in us 
shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. May that be our desire and our prayer when we hear God's word spoken to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to sit under the teaching of your word. We recognize that as believers, we hear the word of God taught to us, preached to us, discussed amongst us, and even read by us as well. Yet oftentimes we don't feel the stirring of conviction within us to be able to do something. And so, Father, we ask that your spirit who dwells within us would change our disposition, change our attitude towards your word, so that whenever we hear it, whenever we are taught it, whenever we discuss it, that you would help us to see how we might be able to do and to obey your word so that we would experience your blessing and be more like your son, Jesus Christ, to be transformed into his likeness. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.